This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14. Episode 34. This is Writing Excuses. Author branding. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. I'm Dong Wan. And we are talking about branding. Not Brandon. Not Brandon. Not Brandon. He's not even in the room because that would make it too hard to keep the words straight because <laughs> I always swallow the ing. Branding. I came from a marketing background, and when we talked about branding, it was it, it was always huge, and we always tried to break it down into into pieces that were easy to assimilate. Um, I can't imagine it being any different in the publishing world. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about it is when I talk to writers, they treat branding as this taboo word, right? If you say branding, then suddenly you violated some sacred trust. In, and it's supposed to be about the art! The muses have now abandoned you and you'll never write again. Um, the muses are fictional. <laughs> <laughs> they have excellent branding. Um <laughs> And the reason I want to talk about it is because it's unavoidable. Um, if you are publishing books, if you are asking people to go to the bookstore or go to the, the internet and pay money for your words, you are already a brand. Uh, there's no way to escape it. Um, and whether you find that to be a dark apocalypse or uh, a blissful mercantile utopia is irrelevant because you have to live in it. Um, and so... The more you can understand how branding works and what your role is in defining your brand and controlling your brand, the more uh, you're going to be able to build a brand that you're happy with, you're comfortable with, and that is sustainable for you over the course of your yeah, career. A good, way, a good way to examine this for those who just don't like the idea of a brand is to consider the grocery store. Um, there are many people who have a favorite you know, box dinner, like Hamburger Helper or Zatarain's or something. And there are folks who say, oh, that's terrible for you. You shouldn't buy those branded goods. You should go get fresh fruits and vegetables. Okay, when I walk into the grocery store and I look at the fresh fruits and vegetables, that is the brand that I am looking for. It doesn't come in a box. It was fresh. It doesn't have to have a sticker on it that says what the brand is, but there is a judgment that I have pre-made for this thing that I am looking for. And as an author, yeah, you can tell yourself you don't want to be a box dinner. You want to be more like a fresh fruit and vegetable. That's still a brand. And to put it in publishing terms, you'll often have people who'll say, oh, I don't want to be a brand. I want to be like this authentic author, you know, the David Foster Wallace's of the world, right? Somebody who's a curmudgeon, somebody who doesn't participate in the system. Um, and I hate to break it to you, but that is their brand. Yeah. And it's extraordinarily well-defined and extraordinarily effective. You will find someone who, you won't find a writer who's better branded than David Foster Wallace was. <laughs> and one of the things that, that, I, that you guys are kind of, hitting on that I, I just want to break out a little bit is that what we're talking about here is uh, expectations and relationship. These are the two things that you are manipulating when you're manipulating a brand. So when we talk about going to your favorite coffee shop, you don't go there because they have the best coffee in the city. Like the ones that you go to over and over again, every now and then, depending on who you are. And, and those of you who I know are serious coffee drinkers, <laughs> I apologize. But point being that, that frequently the reason you go to this coffee shop is because of a, a barista or because 
of the staff and they recognize you and that that there it feels like there's a relationship. And this is one of the things that encourages brand loyalty, why you keep going back, why often you will go to some place where it's not the best coffee in the city, that it's, it's because of that relationship. So as, a, as an author brand, a lot of what you're doing is building the, the relationship with your reader. And then the other aspect of it is their expectations, giving them a sense of what that relationship is going to be like, what sort of... Uh, what sort of experience they're going to have. So like the fresh fruit experience is very different from the boxed dinner experience, both of which are valid and both of which have audiences that appeal to them. But you you want to know which one, where, where you're landing. So like, you know, I have the puppeteer brand um, and that tells people a little bit about the kind of expect thing, you know, you can reliably expect that at least once an episode, I am going to talk about puppetry at some point. Uh but the other thing that I have is that I'm open about aspects of my personality. Like I'm open about the fact that I have depression. Um, these are, this is part of the relationship, but I'm also, there are things about my life that I don't talk about. So you can have an authentic, open, honest relationship with your, in your, as part of your brand and, and not have to, um, and, and not have to word vomit your entire emotional experience. Mm-hmm. One important thing to think about, um, and this is one of the differences between having a personal brand versus a corporation having a brand, right? And those those do operate slightly differently is as a person, really what your branding is, is having a good set of boundaries. What you're going to start doing is drawing lines around certain things that you're comfortable talking about in public with your fans and certain things that are only for you and your close personal friends. Um once you are a published author, you are no longer just a person. You are now a person and a public persona at the same time. Knowing when you're talking to a person, if they have expectations of the public persona version of you or the actual you is really important. And when I see this relationship go awry, when I see fans get their feelings hurt, or when I see other writers interacting in a way that ends up causing drama, it is often around this disconnect. So having a crystal clear idea of what is you, what do you keep for yourself versus what do you put out into the world is going to help you manage that and make being a public persona much more sustainable for you and much less taxing when you're at a con or online or whatever it is. Yeah, and on that note, it's important, I think, especially for an author when when it's just one person instead of a corporation, you're not so much defining a brand new identity for yourself as you are defining a version of the self that already exists. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, my brand is basically me, but slightly, you know, flavored for the internet or whatever. It's not any, an entirely different person that I have to think of and then maintain constantly. That's more work than you need to put into this. You just found the murder within and put it on stage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Part of what you're describing here is a compartmentalization in 2004, 2003, I think, uh, I was still working at Novell, and I was briefing a bunch of salespeople, and I was the the hard-hitting, uh, knows-all-the-facts uh, project manager, and, and I was managing an audience full of people who were really kind of hostile because the salespeople don't always want to sell what it is that you've made and you need to convince them to do that. And at the end of the presentation, one of the guys came up to me and said, so my son reads 
reads stuff on the internet. I said, oh, okay, yeah, I'm the same guy. No, hear me out. He reads this comic strip and he says it's by a guy who works at Novell. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same guy. No, hear me out. It's this guy, who, he's named Howard. And I'm like, dude, it's me. And he stopped for a moment and stared at me like, it, it can't be you. And that was where I realized that my brand as a cartoonist was incredibly different from my brand as a guy who is talking to the salespeople to the point this person couldn't even imagine that I was the same person. Do I feel two-faced for that? Not really, because I had two different jobs. I'm the same guy doing both of them. Um, That was one of the first points where I realized that I never wanted the brand of me as a project manager to be the person that people see as the cartoonist because the project manager was designated jerk. (laughs) That's not the guy I want to be. But one thing I want to point out there is that both were authentically you. Yes. And therefore both are sustainable almost indefinitely, right? You may not want to sustain the angry project manager guy because that sounds exhausting after a certain point in time. But, you know, it's really important that you aren't constructing a totally artificial brand. If your brand is the exact opposite of your personality, you might be able to sustain that for a few years, but at some point it's going to start breaking down. And just the mental effort it's going to take to keep that up online every day or in newsletters or at personal appearances um, is going to be very draining. Um, And it's, it's very important to try and make sure that when you're choosing your brand and you're developing it, you're making choices that are really organic to you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, I've got the book of the week. <clears throat> I, I got to read, uh, I think about a year ago, I got to read um, Empress of Forever by Max Gladstone. And I've been waiting for this thing uh, to hit the streets ever since then because I was so, so excited by it. Um, it is it is like post-singularity space opera um, launched by a near fu- near future uh sci-fi thriller um and that twist where we where we make the shift from the near future thriller to to the post singularity was beautiful i mean it wasn't seamless because i'm like well that was abrupt um but it is it is beautiful i i loved 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 this book um it is, I don't need to say anything about it other than that Max Gladstone and Empress of Forever. And when I was tweeting with some of my author friends about it, I'm like, oh, I just got to read this thing by Max. And the responses was, oh, that thing with the Empress. Oh, that thing. Oh, that thing. Nothing but enthusiasm. My friends, you need to get this book. Empress of Forever, Max Gladstone. So, so one of the things that... that I'm just going to say as a counter to um, to creating a brand is that it is actually possible to create a brand that is is artificial. And, and the person I'm thinking of is Gil Carriger, who's open about the fact that that 
she has created a persona as her author persona. There are absolutely personality traits that are completely in line with the real person, but the physical nature of the the brand, uh, the 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 choice in clothing, the set dressing, the, the costuming of the brand is different than the real person. And that was a conscious choice because she wanted to be able to go to conventions and go incognito. So while, you know, it would be lovely if this was a concern that all of us had, that what happens if I become famous? Um, it is actually a thing to think about. It's like, what happens if you become famous? Because George R. R. Martin can no longer move through this through space um, without anyone saying, mm-hmm. you're he George must, R. R. Martin. He must traverse now with a bodyguard yeah. of sorts, yeah. a handler. And, and that can be something as complicated as what Gail does. And you're absolutely right. And, and I should have thought about her earlier. Uh, or it can be something as simple as I wear my hat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in Latin America, which is the only market in which I get recognized on the street, I can take that hat off and turn invisible and nobody knows who I am and then put it back on and be recognized. I did want to talk about uh, a problem that you can have with uh, branding. And, and I'll use myself as an example. But first, I'm going to use I'm going to go back to Hamburger Helper, which is where Howard started us off. <clears throat> um, so Sorry. let's imagine the, the beginning of, of Hamburger Helper. And I don't know what the first flavor they had was, but I'm going to pretend like it's stroganoff. I think it was okay? helper flavored. <laughs> <laughs> let's say that some guy invented this cool stroganoff thing and he's like, oh, I can sell this and people can make it in their homes for dinner and it'll be great. He could have decided that he was just going to be the best stroganoff for dinner guy in the world. But what he did, he took the time to look at it and say, actually, no, what I want to be is the person who helps you make your own dinner, regardless of the flavor. And so focused his brand in that direction instead. And Hamburger's Helper now represents much more than that initial stroganoff idea. And in terms of brand, it's not just that, it's that, when you are buying hamburger, which is a thing that you might be buying anyway and which comes mm-hmm. in all kinds of grades and maybe you're making burgers and maybe you're making tacos and I don't know what you're making with it, uh, you go out to buy hamburger, hamburger helper is a thing that you know will go with this thing you just bought because it's right there in the name. They put yeah. that in the brand. Um, it's are there ways for you as an author to create a brand that is similarly associative. When I started, I branded myself wholly around my first published novel. My first Twitter handle was John Cleaver, who was the character in the book. Um, I was that guy. I was the John Cleaver horror guy and very quickly realized, no, I want my career to be so much more than this one character and this one series and had to rebuild my brand, let's say three years into my career, so that I could encompass the much wider range of stuff I wanted to work on. Can I? Oh, go ahead, Dong Wan. Just to, to the point there, you know, branding is a very tricky thing because what you want to do is have your own career brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then underneath that, you need to make a bunch of smaller brands uh, for each book or each series that you're doing. Um, at this point, Mary's maintaining four or five different brands mm-hmm. in addition to her career brands, which is actually two to three brands put together, right? Um, if you map it out that way, it can feel enormously complex. 
Um, and this is part of why I encourage uh, make your brands as natural feeling as possible because it's easier to maintain a bunch of them at once because they're different parts of you and they're different parts of your work. And then you'll have structured ways you can talk about each series, structured ways you can talk about each book. Um, but when you're th- when you think about your personal brand, your author brand, uh, Dan's absolutely right. If you tie it to one book or one series, then immediately when it comes to transition to the next thing. Uh, you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble and having to d- rebuild more than you would want to at that point in your career. Let, let me use calculating stars actually as a, a quick example of, of what you're talking about with the, the managing of the brand. I am I'm picking aspects of calculating stars uh, to to put forward that are the things I'm already interested in. So I have a character who's a mathematician. She's She's a woman in STEM and working in rocketry. Um, women in STEM and rocketry, super excited about math. I really don't care. Um, I'm, it's not, I think it's a wonderful thing, but it's not something that I have any personal enthusiasm or passion for. So when I am, when I am pushing my brand, my, my calculating stars brand, the stuff that I, I put out on social media, the stuff that I talk about is all about the stuff that I'm super interested in. Let's say, look, I'm at NASA. I'm looking at rockets. Look at this really interesting woman in STEM. Um, you will, if you look at my Twitter stream, I don't think I've ever tweeted anything about, look at this cool math thing, because I'm sure that they're out there, <laughs> but I don't understand them. And it's, it's it, so it is, again, you can make something of a brand that is still an authentic representation of you while being part of that sub-brand. I'd like to try something that might not work, but I want to try it anyway. Um, the the four of us sitting here, um, do you have a short description of one of our brands? Um, I'll go first. Mary Robinette. Didn't see it coming. Historically accurate. Makes me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. I, I'll, I'll take that. Which is funny because I would I would say happily married couple for myself is is a core part of or a happy relationship. And this is me. This is me speaking yeah. as a consumer of your books. Yeah. Not necessarily as someone who knows you personally, because the brand is expanded. No, no, no. For that, me, but, but that that for my books, that is the thing. Happily married couple. That yeah. is the thing that I, I feel like that is one of the things that you're signing up for when you pick up one of my books is that there is. There is a committed relationship someplace in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's an interesting exercise. Like anybody else want to try it? I would I have, have if you had warned me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I so, don't know if I can do this. So, my so my brand for Howard, jerk face, McJerk face, <laughs> <laughs> mic drop, comic drop. Excuse me, comic drop, uh, cartoons. It, you know, um, you said you didn't like math, but that, the math checks out. <laughs> uh, for Dan, I mostly have murder and hat. I'm not, not which murder. Is, hat, which the is murder not hat brand. It's murder and hat. It's not a murder hat. It's not like the, the Dexter outfit, you know. It's yeah. just. Oh, that's what you think. <laughs> that, he cleans it very it's very hard to get that, that does underline something i've talked about before which is the trouble that i sometimes have trying to sell science fiction because i i went in so solidly on that horror brand when i started 
like I said, I, I about three years in had to rebuild it. I am still in the process of rebuilding it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was one of the things, having seen other people do that with with my first series, that was one of the reasons that I did a different elemental genre with each novel while I mm-hmm. maintained the same set dressing so that I could try to train people that, look, I can write more than one thing. Yeah. Well, and Brandon's not here, but I'm going to confuse Howard by talking about Brandon's branding. Um <laughs> We often on the podcast, when we are behind the scenes planning out what guests we want to have, we'll talk about getting someone who's in YA and Mary Robinette and I will both say, oh, that's great because we need more YA. And then Brandon will be like, I've got three different best-selling YA series, but nobody thinks of him like that. He's the epic fantasy guy. Yeah. Which is both the power and peril of a brand. You know, mm-hmm. a brand can be limiting in some ways, you know, as, as Dan is pointing out with his work and with Brandon, sometimes it can be hard to break out of that if your brand is very strong. That said, you have the upside of you have a strong brand, which is a, in the category of good problems to have. doesn't yeah. make it not a problem, but it does mean that you have already taken up mindshare among uh, a group of readers, and that's a great place to be. Can I do Dong Wan? Please. Please. Yes. I'm dying. Okay. Knows everybody I know. <laughs> knows people I didn't know were even people. Can sell any of them anything. You left out fabulous dresser. That's I'll true. Take it. That is. I was just picking. I was just picking three. I so. know, but he, he's the only one of us. We wear these stupid headbands when we record. His actually matches his outfit, and it's and what's amazing. Not even fair. I will yeah. say, Mary kindly gave me the one that matched my outfit. I could have ended up with that orange one. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you couldn't have, not while I was in the room. <laughs> okay, so you've just seen us struggle with this uh, with this exercise. It is not easy. Uh, I believe Mary Robinette has some homework for us for you. Yeah, so it's time to do some soul searching. Um, you need to identify your brand. And for this, what I want you to think about is the, the aspects, the core aspects of your personality that you don't mind highlighting for public. The things that just, and it doesn't have to be your entire personality. Like, focus on three things. You know, if if you look at my bio, I say puppeteer, author, and um, audiobook narrator. Like, what, what was my third thing? <laughs> uh, and those are those are three jobs, right? Uh, but I could, you could also define my brand as uh, historical fantasy. Uh, um, mentor and uh and theater person you know it's you can pick three things and and figure out what you want to do but pick at least three pick like your three major things and make sure that they're things that you are uh topics that you're passionate about that you will probably be passionate about for your entire life make sure they're not a transitory passion and try to find something that is a passion that is not strictly tied to your books you will notice that in the things that i listed i did not list Regency, although I love it. I did not list space, although I love it. I did not list World War One, although I love that too. It was a bad time, but still, point being, <laughs> pick things, pick three core aspects of your personality that you want to highlight, three core things that you're passionate about that you want to highlight that are not directly related to your work. Thank you very much. Um, the bar has been set pretty high and you watched us fail to clear it. This is writing excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. 
jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 